Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. So today we are continuing our series through the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah is one of those little-known books, probably one of the least known about books in the whole Bible. Um, you know, I probably know a little bit more about Zephaniah than Obadiah, but there's probably not that many more books that I know more about. Um, but now I know a lot about Zephaniah because I've been studying it over the last couple of weeks to preach it to you. Um, it's a book about judgment, um, God's judgment. And uh, that's sometimes a hard topic to talk about, but God talks about it, so we will too. Um, as we get started, I want to tell you guys two stories, two stories that may seem unconnected. Uh, the first story is the story of this couple, and they were living in northern Australia, and they were driving one night through these back roads, and all of a sudden, the rain just started pouring down flash flood came about. The road started filling very quickly with water. They weren't near civilization. They weren't near anything. They had no idea what was going to happen because if the water continued to rise like it would, it would sweep their car away and they might drown or die. Yeah, pretty bad. What are you going to do? So fortunately, gracias a Dios, the, uh, there was a tractor trailer on the road in front of them, like a big 18-wheeler truck. And as it was driving, they noticed that it was pushing the water off the road. So what they did is they, started, they pulled up behind the tractor trailer. And the tractor trailer clearly noticed them because he slowed down and made sure to stay with them through the night as they were driving. And as he drove, the water pushed to the sides, and they were able to drive on um, dry road until they were able to get to higher ground. Saved their life. The second story, which seems completely unrelated, is about this guy named Skippy. I'm not sure how many of you guys browse the wild world of the internet, um, especially YouTube, but there's a channel called I Am Skippy. And Skippy is famous, um, somewhat famous, for being a 34-year-old who lives in his mom's basement. That's his claim to fame. And he has a YouTube channel all about how he lives in his mom's basement and how he does everything with his mom, and including he goes out to try to get on, go on dates or to meet girls. And the way he does it is he brings his mom along as his wing mom. And she wears this bright red shirt that says wing mom across the thing. And uh, that's, that's how he goes about doing everything. He can't do anything without his mom. His mom is there for everything he does. What's the similarity between these two stories? They're both stories of dependence. They're both stories of dependence. The first one, in the trailer, tractor trailer, if they depend, if this car depended on this tractor trailer in front of it, they would live. Dependence was actually a source of life for them. If they were to follow this truck, if they were to, if they were to decide, I don't want to do things my own way, I'm not going to follow this truck anymore, they literally would have been swept away by the waters. Dependence was actually life. But we might say with Skippy, 
that dependence, as dependent as he is on his mom, is actually not life. He's choosing to not experience the fullness of life. Why do I tell these stories? Well, I think when we talk about being people who are dependent on God, as Christians would claim to be, the world is going to tell us that that is like skipping. You are just depending on God to tell you what to do, but you are missing out on the joys of life. You're missing out. True life is going to come from independence, not dependence. But our passage this morning is going to tell us that no, the story of the Bible is that dependence is like the trucker. It's life. Following the Lord, dependence on the Lord, is what is going to give you life. Independence, actually, is death. This morning we're going to talk about what it means to depend on the Lord. Let's go ahead and read the passage. We're in Zephaniah chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read all the way to Zephaniah 3, verse 8. Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon left in ruins. At midday, Ashdod will be emptied and Ekron uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea, you Carathite people. The word of the Lord is against you, Canaan, land of the Philistines. He says, I will destroy you and none will be left. The land by the sea will become pastures, having wells for shepherds and pens for flocks. That land will belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. There they will find pasture. <coughs> in the evening they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The Lord their God will care for them and he will restore their fortunes. I have heard the insults of Moab and the taunts of the Ammonites who insulted my people and made threats against their land. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom, the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. This is what they will get in return for their pride, for insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty. The Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all the gods of the earth. Distant nations will bow down to him, all of them in their own lands. You Cushites too will be slain by the sword. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Syria, Assyria, leaving Nineveh totally, utterly desolate and dry as the desert. Flocks and herds will lie down there, creatures of every kind, and the desert owl and the screech owl will roost in her columns. Their hooting will echo the windows. Rubble will fill the doorways, and beams of cedar will be exposed. This is a city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one, and there is none beside me. What a ruin she has become, a lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. Now he's talking to Jerusalem. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one, accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are unprincipled. They are treacherous people. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice. And every new day, he does not fail. 
yet the unrighteous know no shame. I've destroyed nations, their strongholds are demolished. I've left their streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are laid waste, they are deserted and empty. Of Jerusalem I thought, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eagerly to, eager to act corruptly in all they did. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, on my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Let's pray. Father God, give us good words, give us hard words. Lord, we pray, Lord, that they would penetrate our hearts, um, that we might know what you care about. And how much you love us that you would rescue people like us. Tell us in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, um, as you're, I was preaching, I, I actually I encourage you, if you haven't yet, to go back and listen to my sermon from last week. I talked a lot about judgment and kind of tried to answer some of the, some of the hard questions about judgment and why God does it, that kind of thing. I'm not going to be able to go into everything I went in last, into last week, this week, um, so I'm depending on the context of that sermon for some of this. Um, but what we talked about is how Zephaniah's main theme is the day of the Lord, as he calls it. Um, there's a bunch of prophets who talk about this day of the Lord. That's the day that's coming for the Jews, um, for Israel, when God is going to uh, pour out his wrath on the world, when he is going to bring judgment on the world. It is Judgment Day. It's also a day of restoration, as we talked about last week. But first comes the judgment. Last week, we looked primarily about how God judges his own people and what he judges them for and the ways that they were failing and his call for them to respond. This week, he not only talks about his own people, but he also talks about the nations. And that's where he starts. So um, our first point this morning, um, our three points are independence of the nations, the independence of God's people, and then finally we're going to talk about what it looks like to have healthy dependence. So let's look about at the independence of the nations. You may have noticed all of chapter 2 is about God the, uh, proclaiming his judgment against a number of different nations. If you don't know who Philistia and Moab and Ammon and Assyria are, these would have been the nations, the, the empires that are surrounding on the nation of Israel. They were enemies of Israel. Um, we do know that for sure. One of the things that we might not uh, know from this passage is why is God judging them? A lot of times in the prophets, um, when they talk about proclaiming judgment against the nations, the prophets very clear about the particular sins and wickedness of these different nations um, what they've done against God and against his people and against each other and gives us good reason for understanding the judgment. Um, we don't really get that here. You don't see a lot of reasons here for why God is judging these nations. But you do see one. You see one reason. I think that's important because Zephaniah focuses in on one particular reason that these nations are getting judged. Perhaps you saw it in verses 8 and 10 says, of chapter 2, he says, I have heard the insults of Moab and the taunts of the Ammonites, who insulted my people and made threats against their land. 
Verse 10, this is what they will get in return for their pride for insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty. Yeah, it says they're, they're insulting, they're mocking. Um, but really what Zephaniah is getting at is what's going on in their hearts. They are prideful. They are arrogant. This is what they will get in return for their pride, is what it says. They think that they are fine without the true God. The God of Israel is weak. The God of Israel can't do anything. We are self-sufficient in ourselves. This continues in verse 15, and you look at the Assyrians. This is what uh, Zephaniah says about the Assyrians. He says, this is the city of revelry, the city that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one, and there is none beside me. What a ruin she has become in a lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. A city of revelry is what it's called. This is talking about probably about the capital of Assyria. You see, Assyria um, celebrated. They really thought that they had everything together. Assyria at this time, this is right before the Babylonians come to power. Assyria is like the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. There is literally no other empire that has been able to defeat them at this point. They have already conquered the northern part of Israel, the northern kingdom, And they are the dominant force in the world. And they look out and rejoice because they have it all. And it actually says, it said they call themselves that lived, it says that they lived in safety. But the Hebrew word there is, uh, means kind of like they lived in complacent safety. Like they, they were, they, they believed they were safe and they just assumed they were safe. They had, they weren't actively trying to preserve their safety. They just had this assumption about themselves that we're fine. Nothing can touch us. We don't need anything else. It's a very Ozymandias moment. That's a literary reference for those of you to look up when you go back home. This is a very Ozymandias type moment as, as the, um, the Assyrians call out, I am the one and there is no other beside me. But yet God says they're going to crumble and they're going to fall. They're prideful. And what really is pride except self-sufficiency? What really is pride except for a belief that you are good in and of yourself and by yourself? The belief that you don't need anything other than yourself because you are great. Now, the word for this is independence. Not depend on anything other than themselves. Just self-dependent. And that's what these nations truly believed. They believed that they were self-sufficient. They were great. They were awesome. They didn't need the true God. They could just handle things on their own. What they didn't see was that everything they had, including their power, including their prestige, including their safety Every good thing that they had was only theirs because the God of the universe had given it to them. The God of the Israelites had, was their God too. God had allowed them to achieve success and glory. By talking about the judgment of the nations, as the reason Zephaniah does this is he is demonstrating that God isn't just a God of God's people. He's not just their private God, so we've got... Yahweh, and you guys have Baal, and 
they have uh, Molech, whatever. No, he's saying the God of Israel is the God of the world. And now that's good for us to hear too because we tend to compartmentalize. It's like, I've got my personal Jesus. You know, he goes in my pocket. He fits there nicely. I pull him out when I need him. But we don't think of God as being the God that everybody needs. That everybody needs to be dependent on him. And how does God demonstrate to the world, to these nations, that um, the earth, the whole earth, is in uh, subjection to him, that they are all dependent on him? That's why he does judgment. That's why he enacts his judgment. Now, how does God enact his judgment? God enacts his judgment not by uh, lightning bolts or earthquakes or by uh, sending fire from heaven and consuming the Assyrians and the Moabites. No, he doesn't do that. What he does is he removes his hand. All of their success, all of their glory was because God allowed it. God removes his hand, and what happens? 2,600 years later, we are here sitting in Bogota, Colombia, worshiping the same God of the God of the Israelites. The same God is still being worshiped today here and around the world. Where's Assyria? Where is Moab? Where is... Philistia, they're gone. God removes his hand. You see, everything good in this world, everything, everything good in this world is due to God. Everything. Apart from God, separated from God, independent from God, truly independent from God, there is no good thing. So what are the things you love, right? What do you love? You love music? You love art, you love relationships, you love friendships, you love um, your boyfriend, you love whatever it is, you love the feelings that you get of, of, of uh, people's admonishment, people's um, uh, love for you, you love the beauty of nature, whatever it is that you love, all of these good things exist because God has not abandoned this world. If God were to remove his presence from this world, those things would cease to exist. There's a famous Johnny Cash line in a song he did with you too. I've mentioned it here before. He says, they say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. That doesn't exist. Anything good you love doesn't exist apart from God. It doesn't. So you can't truly be independent from God and experience good things. All of it is from him. To be independent from God is to be independent from all good things. If God were to remove his hand from us, the floodwaters would pour over our car. God doesn't do that, though. The next thing he looks at, though, is he looks at in the beginning of chapter 3, he focuses on God's people, and he focuses on their independence. Now, here's a little hint. If you call yourself a Christian today, um, when you're reading the Old Testament prophets, you especially want to start listening when God starts going after his own people. Because often the things that he accuses his own people of, we can find in our hearts. Because we are the same in many ways. What does he call them out for here? You guessed it, pride, independence, self-sufficiency. Verse 2, chapter 3. She obeys no one, talking about 
Israel. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Here's what Zephaniah is saying. He's saying, you claim to be my people. You claim Israel to be followers of Yahweh. You claim to be people who are dependent on the true God. But how come you don't let anyone correct you? How come you don't let anyone tell you what to do? How come you don't let anyone confront you for your sin? How come you just assume that you have it all figured out? That sounds like someone who is self-dependent, not someone who is dependent on me. It's a good question for us this morning. We say we're Christians, many of us. We say we're Christians. Do we allow God to enter in? And challenge our hearts. We say we need Jesus. We sing like the prelude this morning. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. But do we allow him to actually correct us? Do we believe him? God says to us very clearly over and over again throughout scripture that our hearts are twisted and we don't actually know what is good for us. What we think is good for us is actually not always good for us. Do we believe him when he says this? Do we believe him that when he says that our hearts are twisted and we need him to renew it? Do we let him challenge our sense of what is right and good? Do we let him determine what is righteous and unrighteous rather than us? Do we ask him, here's a question, do we ask him just to give us what we, what we think we want? Like our main relationship with God is, God, will you please give me this thing I want? Or is our main prayer as I think it should be, God, will you change my heart so that I desire what is good for me and what you want for me? Do we pray that? It's a clear and consistent message throughout Scripture. The person who follows Jesus, the true follower of Jesus, the true Christian, the true believer, isn't someone who has perfect obedience, isn't someone who is self-righteous, especially, but it is someone who is humbly dependent on the Lord. A heart that says, I do not have what I need in myself. I am not self-sufficient. I don't even know what is good for me a lot of the times. I need Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Here's the thing. The thing you depend on the thing that you are most depending on is going to drive what you do. Motivation is built on what you love. When you want to do something good or when you want to do whatever your actions are are motivated by whatever you love the most. And the thing you are depending on, the thing you love the most is yourself. Your actions are by their nature going to be selfish. That's what's happening here with Israel. They have become, as in verse 1 of chapter 3, they've become a city of oppressors. If you jump down to verse 7, you see that um, God says, Surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then your place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. They think they are self-sufficient. They are depending on themselves. And when you depend on yourselves, the only thing you are seeking to do is to help yourself. So that the, the good of the poor, the good of those around them, the good of the other nations, all fell to the wayside because they were only caring 
about themselves. What you love drives what you do. What you love drives what you do. What do you love the most? What do we love the most? It's interesting, even the good things that we do. Now you might say, okay, well, I'm not a Christian, but you know, I do good things. I really believe that that's true, probably. There are good things we can do. But let's not just look at what we do. Let's look at why we do it. Even for us Christians, why do we do what we do? Are we doing good things? Are we obeying God? Are we doing good things for our neighbor, doing good things for the poor, doing good things um, for those around us because we, out of a, a dependence on God and a knowledge of his love for us and desire to give selflessly to other people? Or are we seeking to lift up our own feelings about ourselves, to lift up our own reputation, to see what we can get out of it to make us feel like we're okay with God because we did that good thing. We need to question our motivations because our motivations reveal what we are truly loving and what we are truly depending on. And that brings us to our third point. Third point is healthy dependence. What does healthy dependence look like? Well, let's look back at chapter 3, verse 2, and we'll reverse it. So what is Jerusalem doing? It says she obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. So if that's what is the opposite, the correct must be, be healthy and healthy dependence on God means to accept correction from him and to draw near to him. Now it's hard to accept correction, right? Accepting correction is like, Something we're internally wired against, right? So you, you get, uh, someone confronts you on something or you know that someone's going to have a hard conversation with you to tell you something bad about yourself, whether it's a boss or um, a coworker or a wife or a friend or whatever it is. You know, your mind probably starts immediately think, thinking about how am I going to defend myself? How am I going to justify myself? How am I going to respond to this, we don't want to just hear it and, re- and receive it. We want, well, no, that, uh, you know, we, we react to correction. That's the reason our hearts, our hearts are twisted. They don't want to be corrected. But with that said, if there is anyone in your life, maybe some of you do have people in your life who you are willing to receive correction from, those people are nearly always people who dearly love you, Right? People who you know, you trust that they want your best interests. And not only do you know that they love you, but you feel their love for you, that they delight in you. And when they delight in you, it makes you willing to receive the correction they have because I know how deeply they love me. So I know that when they're correcting me, they're doing so not out of a place of, of, of hatred, but out of a place of love. The good news is the Lord, even in this passage, isn't saying, just depend on me or else. He's saying, depend on me because. Because why? Because he's just. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning he dispenses his justice. And every day he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. God is just. He seeks to do right to the world. He does not respond bitterly. He does not respond in kind to the way we treat him. But he responds consistently day after day. He does what is right. 
Day after day, he dispenses judgment. Day after day, he makes, he restores things. He, re- he works, he's very fair. He's very just. But he's not just those things, he's also very merciful. I'm not sure if you noticed the mercy in this passage. It's got a lot of judgment. There's a lot of merciful undertones. One of the, there's, this is only one of the examples. There's quite a few. Look at verses 6 and following from chapter 2. The land by the sea will become pastures having wells for shepherds and pens for flocks. The land will belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. There they will find pasture. In the evening they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The Lord their God will care for them and he will restore their fortunes, even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of knowing his people are not very obedient, they are not dependent on him, he is still thinking about the future when he is going to restore his people, when he's going to make all things right, when he is going to bring them into these green fields as a good shepherd and give them plenty to eat. Planning good things. The Lord plans good things for his people. We can believe what we're what said here about God, but we can also see it. We see it in the person of Jesus. You know, Jesus was someone who was dependent. We've been talking, if you're a youth student, you do know that because we've been talking about it all semester. Jesus is dependent. You know what? Jesus said something that actually probably would sound like something Skippy would say if you had heard it out of context. So it might surprise you to hear him say it, but Jesus says this. He says, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only see what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus is dependent on his father. It's crazy to think about. God of the universe becomes man and becomes someone who is dependent. What Jesus is showing us is that to be truly human, to truly be who God has created us to be, we have to be people who are dependent. This is where we are going to find the greatest life. And what Jesus loves, what Jesus is dependent on, drives what he does. Because he is dependent on his Father, and he knows his Father's love for him, he is able to go to the cross to selflessly give himself up for us all. He goes to Calvary. He dies. He dies so that we might be invited into God's family to be given the rights of sons and daughters. It's interesting in this story about the, the 18-wheeler, the tractor-trailer on the, on the road. They finally get to high ground and they stop. This is a true story. They stop and um, they get to this restaurant at this high ground where there's no, not so much water. They pull over. And the, the wife runs up to the truck driver and gives him a hug and just says, thank you, thank you, you saved our lives. And what does the guy say? He says, I saw you guys back there. My first thought was, I imagined you were my family. Imagine you were my family, and I was going to do whatever it took to make sure you guys made it out of there okay. That's how God treats us. 
God doesn't imagine he were his family. He actually makes us his family. We are united to Christ through his death and resurrection so that God looks at us as his heirs, as his children. He loves us dearly. He wants good things for us. He's a good, good father. He's the kind of father who doesn't just love us and delight in us. He's also a good, good father who corrects us, who sees the ways that we are harming ourselves and those around us and comes up to us and says, stop. Not because I, it's going to make me love you more. I already love you as much as I can love you, but stop because you're hurting yourself. Stop because I care about you too much. Stop because your heart's really messed up and you're going to find so much more joy and satisfaction and love and peace by following me, by being someone who is dependent, not someone who is independent. And that's the calling on us this morning to see our Father for who He is, to look to Him for correction, to look to Him for love, to respond to that correction, to let Him shape us. Not so that we shape ourselves, but let Him shape us. And in doing so, we're actually going to find what we're made for. And we're going to live lives that aren't self-seeking, but are seeking, are able to love others because we know how deeply we have been loved. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much um, for your word. I'm thankful for you. Um, I don't think we can even fully grasp how holy you are. We also can't grasp how loving you are, how merciful and just you are. We pray, Lord, though, that you would uh, just make it clear to our hearts that we might depend on you and trust you. Look to you for correction. Be teachable people. Um, Yes, Lord, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.